God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word together. Uh, open your word, you know, to, to receive from you the things that only you can give. We, we trust, God, that uh, truth and wisdom, it's, it's from you, and it's found in the things that we read in your word. So lead us to the things, God, that are going to help us be more like you, to help us glorify you with our lives. Uh, lead us to your peace, God, in this season where things can often be uh, not so peaceful. Uh, help us, Lord, to understand your mission for us on this earth uh, and, and, and lead us to it. I pray, God, that you get me out of the way and speak in my place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are focused this Christmas season on this, this one concept that all is well. Even when things aren't well, things can be well within us uh, because of the presence of Jesus in our lives. It's the Christian uh, manifesto that Jesus changes things. And when he's a part of us, uh, peace is possible, even when peace outside is not happening. Now, we, we learn that from these verses in Luke chapter 2. If you've uh, uh, been hearing the Christmas story around this season, you know that this is a huge part of it. Uh, at the birth of Christ, uh, some shepherds were hanging out outside of a place called Bethlehem, and one angel initially appears to them and says, hey man, I got some good news. Uh, tonight, there's, there's been a Savior born. His name is Christ the Lord, and he's down there in Bethlehem. You can go see him. Uh, he's hanging out with his mom and dad in a barn. Uh, and then a, a bunch of angels, it's called a host of angels, uh, got together with this, this one angel and they sang this song or, or made this, maybe it was a rap, I don't know, maybe they dropped the beat and it just went off. But uh, um, this is what they said in verse 14. Everybody read it with me. Verse 14 says, read it, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who, who, with whom is God pleased? Uh, well, uh, we, we learned a couple weeks ago when we started this that God's pleased with everybody. And we need to be really grateful for that. That is a grace uh, that we cannot begin to understand. Because just so you know, none of us are pleasing to God. Like, like, here's what I mean by that. We don't do anything that would merit his pleasure. Every one of us, the Bible tells us, is, is, is sinful. We are rebellious against God. And so we've all done things that would displease God. I mean, well, lots of things. Amen? Anybody driving to church today do something that might have displeased God? cut that other church person off who was going to the other church, you know, and just kind of zipped in front of them. Hope you didn't have our tag on the back. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> yeah, we displease God all the time. But here's the great news. That even in, in our rebellion or even in our, our uh, uh, sins of omission, things that we forget to do for God, uh, even in all of those things, God has pleasure in us. He loves us. He's crazy about us. He, he wants us to be connected to him, even though in our sin we're not. And so this is what he did. He sent Jesus uh, to be born and to live a perfect life so that he could become a, a perfect sacrifice, uh, die on a cross, bearing our sins on himself, that, that he would raise from the grave and give us hope over death, and that through him, our faith in him, we could have life and life forevermore. It, it's, just, it's a great deal, and it's because God is pleased with us. So don't worry about being pleased uh, or being the, in the pleasure of God. You are. And he sent Jesus so that none should perish, but all would have everlasting life. That, that concept of peace, though, is, is part and parcel with Christmas. I don't know if you feel that right now, if, if you're behind the gun on, on certain things with the Christmas traditions looming. But peace and Christmas are synonymous. Peace on earth is what Christmas is all about. Now, we, we learned that the first week. We, we figured out. Uh, that, that Jesus came to bring us peace. It's going to show up right here on this, on this screen right here. It's Jesus came to bring us peace. Yeah, there it is. 
and, uh, and that uh, Jesus came to bring us personally, uh, peace personally. He came to bring us peace relationally. Uh, and he, he came to bring us peace spiritually. And we've kind of spent our whole month talking about those things. But I, I think it's so fitting that we do this at Christmas because Christmas is one of the least peaceful times of my year. Uh, traffic, come on, let's just talk about it one more time. I live up by the mall now. Can everybody just pray for me? Because uh, uh, people on 60 are just morons. They're, they're just not right in the head, right? Because everybody thinks I can, I can be the last car that makes it through that light. I can make it, I know. All the traffic trends in front of me are going to change from what they've been for the last 30 seconds, and they'll all move so there'll be room for my huge truck and the trailer that I'm towing. But do they move? No, it's called a mall, people. Nothing's moving up there. And so when you pull your traffic into my lane, I can't go while the light's green. That is one of the most frustrating things in the world to me. You're in front of me as the entire time that the light is green is going by. It goes yellow, right? You're still in front of me. It goes red. And then the lights all cycle, and now you're gone. Who, who wants to punch that vehicle? Does anybody want to punch that vehicle? And it only happens at times like this at Christmas. When we lose all mental faculties. Don't even get me started on company. We're going to talk about having peace with others. <laughs> no, seriously. Who knows that he or she is coming on Christmas and you're already dreading it right now? Is anybody? Come on, yeah. I, I see some hands. That's honest. Because they've been in your family, but you escaped them long ago, Right? Y'all grew up, and now we live different places, but Christmas is this big time every year where we've got to spend four hours together, and you're already starting to psych up, aren't you? Is anybody? Yeah, maybe some of you are like, no, I love my family. Well, you're the person they're psyching up for, just so you know. <laughs> Think about it that way. But it is. It's this time of year where... Uh, you're presented with relationships that maybe the rest of the year you can insulate yourself from. And, and, and we're going to talk about that specifically today. But you know what? Uh, this is also one of the toughest times of year uh, for people uh, who, who feel an incredible sense of loneliness, especially in this, this, this time of, of, of year. Uh, there's people in your rows that are going through their first Christmas without someone that they've loved their whole life. And it's really hard. Uh, there's there's people in, in your rows that they've never liked Christmas because it always reminds them of hurts and failures and different things that have gone on in their life. And, and it's just not a peaceful time. And so, so it's great that we're talking about peace in ourselves, that we can have peace regardless of what's going on in here. We can have peace regardless of what's going on in our relationships. We can have peace uh, with, with God uh, because that's the whole point of Christmas. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, and, and we're just going to kind of review some of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is one of those sermons uh, that, that I tried to make one movie, but now it's a trilogy. Anybody, anybody been to that movie? They stretched into three. They should have just made it one. This is one of those sermons. And so uh, we, we started a couple weeks ago talking about uh, what, what Paul was describing here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This isn't usually a Christmas text, uh, but I think it fits so perfectly with what we're talking about with peace that I wanted to bring it to our attention uh, Paul is, is writing to his friends in Corinth for the second time, and uh, he's, he's basically, uh, in part, you know, just describing or, or instructing them on the things that they need to be doing as Christians, but he is also, in this letter, defending himself to them as, as their apostle, their leader. Uh, back in the first century church, there was lots of 
false prophets who would come about and basically try to undermine the leadership of Paul and others like them uh, and, and teach a different kind of gospel so that they could get people following them and their ideas. And so this was happening in Corinth, and Paul is basically saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm worthy of your follows. Keep me on your Facebook and Twitter accounts. I am, I am, uh, I am the true apostle. And, and you can know that I'm the true apostle because of the, the way that I've gone about my business. I'm not doing this so that I get a lot of shine. In fact, I, I get my, 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 my head handed to me on, on almost every occasion that I go to a different city. I mean, people throw rocks at me. Uh, most of the times when I go and preach the gospel in a new place, it's not a popularity contest for me. In fact, uh, if there's anybody in Christian history that would tap out on the Jesus thing, just read Paul's story. He had every reason in the world to not keep doing what he was doing, not to show up to the office the next day, because he was, he was walking a hard road. But he stayed in it, and he kept following Jesus. And he gets to this portion of the, of the text, and he's going to talk about inadvertently peace, but he's going to talk about why he's staying in it. And he starts here in verse 14 where he says, For the love of Christ controls me, or us, him and his group that have, have come to Corinth and planted all these churches in the first century. He says, we're under the compulsion of the love of Christ. He's like, it's like Jesus is holding the joystick, and we're just going wherever he tells us to go. We've just ceded all control of our lives to Christ and his purposes for us. And he says, here's why. Because we have concluded, we've come to a mental understanding, a, 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 we've assented to this truth. That, that one has died for all. That's Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so that everybody might have life. And he paraphrases that in this next clause. He says, therefore, all have died. And we, we figured that out. That doesn't mean everybody dies physically, although we all do, unless Jesus comes back before. But, uh, but he's, he's talking about, spiritually speaking, everybody has died, stay with me, to death. Now, what, what the Bible tells us, if you're new to the Christian thing, let me just kind of explain your spiritual state, uh, you know, uh, if you're born into the world, uh, you are born into what we call the sin nature. You are born in, into rebellion against God. And what the Bible describes sin's effect as being is, is, is it brings death. The wages of sin is, say it, death. And so we're all born uh, dead, spiritually stillborn. We're all dead at, at, our, at our birth uh, into this world. And that death stays with us until we are born again. This guy, Nicodemus, hung out with Jesus one day in uh, John chapter 3, and, and Jesus says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I, I can't crawl back up in my mom. That's just weird. But Jesus says, no, not physically. I'm talking spiritually. You were born dead, and so you have to be born again into life, and that comes through faith in me. So that's what Paul's reiterating here. He's figured it out. He says, listen, we have concluded this. It's, it's, been, it's been made clear to us that Jesus died for all so that everybody could be dead to the death that they were born into spiritually. It's a double negative. Dead to death means alive. And that's why Paul does this. He can't help it, man. And get, and get this. Here's why Paul can't help it. He did everything he could to, uh, to controvert, to come against this, this mission of Jesus, this, this movement of the early Christian church. I mean, if you remember in Acts, he was, used to be this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And, and Saul uh, was a persecutor of the early church, and he just, I mean, he, he killed Christians, persecuted them. But then on that glorious day where he's kind of heading towards Damascus, uh, he, he comes face to face with Jesus himself, and he realizes that Jesus died for even me. And if he would die for even me, a persecutor of him and his people, 
Well, then I'm all in. We're not res- nothing in reserve. He's got the joystick, and I'm doing whatever he wants. Now, we, <laughs> we move from that to, to this first understanding of the peace that comes in this life where Christ controls us. Look at what it says in verse 15. Well, we're going to see here that, that uh, uh, Jesus came to bring us peace with ourselves. There we go. Jesus came to bring us peace with ourselves. Look at what it says in verse 15. It says this. And he, Paul continuing his thought, uh, he died for all that those who live, say it with me, might no longer live for who? For themselves. But instead will live for him who for their sake died and was raised from the grave. The, the, the Christian thing is, is, is about us living eternally in heaven. Who, who's ever taught their kids that when you share Jesus and the, and the story of Jesus? Do you want to live forever? Do you want to go to heaven? And everybody's, you know, the, the heaven thing is dangled out in front of people is the main reason that you would accept Christ and have faith in Jesus. You get to go to, say it with me, heaven. And heaven's great. Who, who's looking forward to heaven? I'm looking forward to heaven. Get me out of here. Love you guys, but get me there. I'm cool with being there and not here. But here's the deal. That's, that's like the bonus. That, that, that's, that, that is the grace that God gives us for eternity. But here's, here's a, lot, a lot of times what gets lost in the emphasis on spending eternity with Christ in heaven is that Jesus came to save us now, not just then, but now. And he came principally to save us from who? From ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at messing up my life. Anybody out there pretty good at messing up your life? Everybody. If you take a long enough look and you get done pointing the fingers at everybody else, everybody in here, given the opportunity to be honest, would have to say, yep, I can make a pretty good mess. I was watching my uh, four-year-old grandson. His name's Asias. Uh, his, his mom, Chelsea, we kind of adopted a few years ago. So it's been great to be like an instant grandpa. It was awesome. And uh, uh, we had uh, celebrated my wonderful wife's birthday, Eleanor. She turned uh, 46 yesterday. She told me to tell you. Okay. <laughs> she said, I earned every one of those years. Don't play that whole 27 thing. That's what I said last night, and she corrected me after. So, uh, uh, but yeah, we celebrated her birthday Friday night, and uh, a joyous occasion, you know, the steaks were all eaten, the cake was ingested, and, and, uh, and it was time for us to kind of just sit around and hang out as a family, as we are wont to do on birthdays. And so I'm in the living room, kind of half watching a TV show, and then uh, keeping up with the score on my iPad, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and here's uh, my grandson, and he has decided, he's been wearing a hoodie, but he's inside now, and he's decided he's too hot. He's going to take his hoodie off, but he doesn't do it like everybody else takes a piece of clothing off. He could just pop it over his head like the rest of us, right? But he takes his arm out and he sticks it up through the neck hole and he sticks his other arm up through the neck hole and he decides he's going to pull it down over his torso. (laughs) Is everybody with me on this? Okay, you're in my lazy boy. What are you doing? You jumping up to help? No, this is gold, right? This is like... (laughs) This is human gold in process. I'm just going to watch this for a while and see where it goes. So I do, and he gets it further down past his chest. He's doing okay, but then he gets to the booty. You can't get that neck hole past the booty. It's not going down there, right? And so he's down, and finally I can't take anymore. I'm like, hey, hey, come here. Come here, pal. Let me help you. To which he said, oh, thank you so much. I was struggling. I needed some help, and I was just waiting for someone to offer their help to me so that I could be able to get this incredibly difficult thing. Oh, is that what he said? No, he said, I can do this! 
I got it. No. He's five feet from freedom. No, I got it. And he continues to just reef on the sleeves. And finally, my wife or his mom, someone just couldn't stand the stupidity any longer and (laughs) swooped in there and got this hoodie off of his body somehow. And he went on playing with his Lego. But I'm like, that's perfect. Thank you, God. I'm preaching that this weekend. Because everybody in here has had a hoodie around your waist once in a while. Come on. It may not have been an actual hoodie, but you thought this is a great idea. And yet you headed off in some direction to get rich quick or to, to have the love you've always looked for or to have whatever. And you, you said, I'm going. And you started and it got caught around your waist. It's not going past the booty, right? And that's it. And you're just stuck. And many of us in here, by the grace of God, have figured out when we get in that situation, we look up. Not in the mirror. We look up and we ask God for the help that only he can give us, right? And he saves us from ourselves. Incredible peace comes from us realizing that. When we talk around here as a church that we exist to surrender to God, you wonder why we hammer that so much. I want you to have the very best life that you can have. Did you know that? I may not even know you, but I love you. I care about you. You are in my family here at this flock. And it is my desire for you to have the very best life that you can have. So when we give principles or mission statements like that that say, you know, surrender to God, it's not so that you can be, oh, i got to surrender. Oh, this is horrible. I hate surrendering. Surrendering sounds like I'm quitting. No, you're not. I'm trying to guide you to the very best life that you can have because the very most peaceful life you can experience is a life of utter surrender to Jesus Christ. And allowing him to save you from yourselves. I'm at my best when Jesus is on the joystick and he's making the decisions for my life. That's just how it works. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Let's talk about what I want to talk about today. And then I'll finish up the rest on Christmas Eve. So you all come for that and the trilogy will be completed. Next thing I want to talk about today is the fact that Jesus came to bring us peace with others. He came to bring us peace with others. The people who are assembling in your home on this Friday or the people that you go to work with after Christmas vacation is over or tomorrow, as it were. Uh, Those kids at school that make you crazy. Uh, Jesus came to bring us peace with others. This This is the area of peace that most of us kind of associate peace with. Uh, peace with others. We, we, we want to experience peace in our relationships, but it's tricky, isn't it? Because in relationships, there's someone else involved. And I can't control them. Wouldn't it be great if people came with an actual, I keep talking about Jesus having the joystick. Wouldn't it be great if people were born with an actual joystick that like detached from their right arm? Just follow me. Some of you are like looking at me weird. Hang with me. And when they came into your house, the first thing they did as a courtesy is they gave you the joystick and you had some control over their reactions to whatever was going on in your life. So if they're the, if they're the you know, uh, the guy that burps at your table, this is stupid, but if they burp at your table, you could hit a button on their joystick that would say no burps for this entire lunch, right? Or if they, if they were someone who brings up, you know, awkward things and, and, and always drags you into that old fight, you, th- there could be like a combination, X, zero, R2, square, gamers, who's with me? And, and, uh... Uh, and you could hit that combination, and it would control them. But th- that does not happen. You cannot control your husband's wives. You think you can. Sometimes. Oh, you do. Some of you are like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. But you can't. 
You can't control our, da- our husbands. You can't control your kids. Somebody will be like, oh, yes, I can't. No, you cannot. You can't control people. And that's why peace is so elusive when it comes to relationships. You can control you. Some of us are lousy at that. And we need to get better. But you can't control them. You've got to make some tough decisions. You've got to learn the principle of responsible to and not for, which if I had more time, I'd preach in a fuller sense. But it basically says this. When it comes to relationships with other people, I'm responsible to God to treat them a certain way. And I've I got to let go of the responsibility for them acting in accordance with those things that I do to honor God. What it means is, I'll honor you even if you don't honor me. It's kind of bedrock on this whole relationship piece with others thing. Uh, and it's something all of us have to grapple with. But, but let's talk about it from, from the sense uh, of looking at people and, and being careful not to make snap judgments that would affect uh, the peace that we might have with them. Here, here's what it says. Jesus came to bring us peace with others. Here's what it says in Paul's little diatribe here. He, he says, listen, I know that uh, Jesus came to save me from me and that as he saves me from me, I can go on into my relationships with other people and, and, and do them in a different way. Look what he says. He says, from now on, therefore, since Jesus died and I died with him and since he saved me from myself, from now on then, uh, I or we, all, everybody with me, regards no one according to the what? I don't look at people according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. All right. When you read the word flesh in the Bible, it either means, uh, well, usually means one of two things. One, it's either the the skin on your bones. Everybody gets that, flesh. Greek word is sarx. Or it's this theological term kind of connoting the self-life. Living for me. In the next verse, it says, uh, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The flesh has been put to death, has been put aside. And, and, and behold, all things become new. I'm a new creation because I'm living now, because of my faith in Christ, in a new way. I'm with him. Not with just me and how I used to live. I'm now in, in Christ. So whenever you read the flesh, it's this old man. It's this return to the old ways. The humanistic, this is how we handle things on, a, on an earthly plane. And it's, and it's doing things that way. When we do things that way, things don't work out the way God intends them to. It's like using a tool for the wrong purpose, or, 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 or it, it's, it's, it's a misappropriation of what was meant to be. You can't do things your way and experience God's blessings. Are you with me? So when we go to the flesh, and we look at people with the eyes of the flesh, it's no wonder there's no peace in our relationships. Of course they're going to fail. Because we do, <laughs> we do things in the flesh to people that just can't produce a righteous result. So Paul says, hey, man, now that I'm in Christ, now that he's saved me from me, I don't regard anybody with the eyes of the flesh anymore. He infers there, I'm looking at him through the lens that Jesus gives me. And I'm seeing things totally different. Who's ever made a, 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 a tertiary or, or cursory glance, pardon me, and, uh, and, and seen the wrong things? Anybody ever done that? You just had like a, a quick snapshot and, and what you saw, you thought you saw, but it wasn't really what you saw. Yeah? I was, I was, uh, uh, I was uh, receiving a text this past uh, week. Uh, it was Friday morning, I believe, and, and I, I got this text. I had just woken up. It was really early in the morning, but I heard the bing, right? And who's, who's, who's like Pavlov's dog with the text thing on your phone? You hear it, and you go, oh, i got to see that. So I, I, I just, I didn't even put my glasses on. That's how programmed I am now. And I just walked out to where my phone was charging, and I grabbed it. 
and I saw on the, on the you know, because it shows like a little, like the first sentence of your text usually on your, on your smartphones, it, it showed, I could, I could make out with my bad eyes the name of a ministry that we're hoping uh, to partner with and, and some very exciting, which I can't tell you because we're not there yet to be able to talk about it, but some very exciting future possibilities for our church, okay? And so I've kind of been praying through and talking with some other uh, you know, ministries in our area about the possibilities that we could extend to as a church. And I saw their name. And here's my immediate reaction when I saw their name. Because here's the deal. They had to make up a decision before we could move forward. It was either zig or zag. We were either going to move forward positively or it was just going to die and never have take root. <clears throat> so I saw their name in this text. What was my first reaction? My initial reaction was what? It's the no. They're sent, and they're doing it on a text. How calloused! What a horrible group of Christians these are. <laughs> to send me this news in a text, I can't believe it. And I slammed my phone down and I went about my morning preparations. I showered angry that morning. <laughs> and I had a conversation with God and I was like, how could they? We prayed about this. This was perfect. It's going to be something that's going to be so great for the vision that you've given me and hopefully the rest of us at the church. And, you know, just all these things. And then God spoke to me in the shower. What are you preaching about this Sunday, Sunders? Peace. How you doing? <laughs> Not so great. What do you know about these people? They're awesome Christian people. Okay, can we remember that while we're considering? And hey, did you really even read the text? No. <laughs> Dry off. Uh, style my hair perfectly. That's that morning it was a great hair day. And then. Uh, <clears throat> went to the phone, swiped it, went to that text again, expecting to get the zig and not the zag. But guess what I got? The zag. <laughs> it was the yes text. It was an excited text. There was like exclamation points. Can we meet after Christmas and start discussing what God may uh, come, come in January? We'll talk about it hopefully sometime then. But I went from uh, anger to elation. Doing a little dance, getting excited. But then I went from elation to what? Kind of shame. <laughs> oh, sorry, God. I fleshed that one, didn't I? Because I, I saw what I saw, and I made my assumptions, and I functioned in them, and it, it shaped how I lived my life, right? Same thing happens in our relationships. We see what we see, we make our assumptions, and then we handle them accordingly. I was talking about traffic earlier. How many people have uh, cursed that person and their generations to come because of some boneheaded move they made in front of you? Not, not call, recalling the fact that you sometimes look at your phone at the stoplight too and that maybe you're sitting there for the count of three before you look up and go, well, that, you know, they should forgive me, but that idiot, there is no excuse for his behavior, Right? You know what makes you say that and feel those things? You know what the root of road rage is? The flesh, assumptions, and the curses that come with it. Uh, two things that I would just leave you with as, as you consider having peace with others this Christmas season. The first one is this. Uh, slow down. Slow down. Almost no good decisions uh, happen quickly. Now, some of you are like, no, I just knew in my gut, and I did it, and it worked out. Okay, good for you. 
But on the pantheon or the, or the list of all the decisions in your life that turned out great, that's going to be a very small sample size. Most of the good decisions that we make in life, they, they come with, with a, a modicum of time. There's just time involved in them. And I would say that the same comes in the conflicts or the relationships that you experience in your life. Slow down. It says in James chapter 1, know this, my beloved brothers, this is verse 19. Let every person be, when it comes to relationships, what? Quick to hear and slow to speak and then slow to become angry. It's one of the only times in the scriptures where the, where the writers of the scriptures are just say, like, specifically, blatantly, hey, slow down. Before you start launching into whatever your reaction is going to be, make sure you've heard everything. And you've heard it clearly. And then make sure you craft your answer because what you say is going to either contribute positively or negatively to the situation. And above all, can you keep your emotions in check? Do you make good decisions when you're angry? No. There's like holes in walls where I used to you know, live because that was what my brain told me was a good idea at that moment of my anger. Hey, punch the drywall. Perfect. Oh, I feel better. My knuckle's broken. I've got to repair that. No, that's not a good decision. Anger brings bad decisions. And so through James, the Holy Spirit instructs us, slow down. Snap judgments almost always are false judgments. Take your time. Research the situation, especially when conflict comes. Stay calm so as to stay objective. And always, in every situation, because you're a Christian, listen, just everybody look at me real quick. If you're a Christian out there, if you're not a Christian yet, so glad you're here. I trust you're coming. You're on your way to following Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, just understand that inherent in following Jesus is doing life like Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you come to relationships like Jesus comes to relationships. You, ex- you seek to extend his grace, his mercy, and you hope to build his peace into every relationship you have. Now, if the other person won't play ball... Hey, we draw lines, create boundaries, I get that. But you, no matter how often that person hurts you, you always seek to restore and reconcile. It's who Christ is. Is everybody grateful that God didn't quit on us after the eighth time we hurt his feelings? Yeah, he stays with us. And so if you're a Christian, you stay with it. You don't wash your hands of someone. You, you, you continue and you persist in trying to figure out ways that you can love them. And that takes slowing down, right? Great things happen when we slow down. Redemptive things happen when we slow down. I, I would, I'll, I'll set this out there. I don't have a verse to back this up. This is just my own feeling. But I, I sense that a lot of times the most difficult people in your life are the people that God has put in your life so that you could be used in their life and see them become less difficult. Everybody hear me on that? The ones that you think are curses to your life, your thorns in your flesh, they are often the ones that God has assigned to you specifically because they have specific emotional, relational, or spiritual needs, and that's the person that you are supposed to love like Jesus so that they experience the change that God wants them to have. Now, I can't go into your life and your Facebook, you know, uh, lists of friends and say them, them, not them. You can leave them, you know, I don't know who yours is, but I just trust that that's what, because I've seen it happen in my life all the time. The most difficult people in my life are a lot of times the people that God wants to use me in the life of. I went to a, a Christian camp as a, a college sophomore. 
was so excited to spend the summer with like-minded uh, Christian men and women, young men and women, and, uh, and things were going great. I was meeting all these friends. Lots of them have been lifetime friends. But then Gary showed up, like the second day of camp. And Gary was my bunkmate. I, I, was, I was support staff. I worked in the sports area of this camp. Uh, Gary was on maintenance crew. But all the support staff stayed in this one kind of, you know, cabin. And, uh, and Gary was my bunkmate. And Gary was a pain in the keister. I mean, he was just a, a pretty horrible human being. I'm not going to lie to you. Not a whole lot of redemptive about Gary. Uh, he had horrible timing. You know, he would come into social situations and just kind of mess it up because he just didn't have social cues. He was vulgar. Um, uh, he would get mad at his supervisors and kind of cuss them out, you know, under his breath as he went off to do it. I mean, he was just a bad employee, kind of a bad dude, right? And he's sleeping over the top of me for the next six weeks of my life. Everybody else could get away from Gary. Uh, he was four feet away most of the time from me, right? So uh, some, somewhere in the midst of that summer, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to start talking to this guy. I mean, I can't get away from him. And I just started asking Gary questions about his life. Well, it turns out Gary was a foster kid until he was 10 years old. Bounced from house to house. Uh, had very few memories of his parents, but they were negative ones. Uh, he finally got adopted out of foster care when he was a uh, you know, 10-year-old and, and went to this great Christian home. But, the, you know, he was, he was already kind of wired, you know, to, to do the things that he was doing. And so uh, Christian schools didn't help and going to church didn't help. So the, <laughs> this family decided, you know, maybe if you worked all summer at a Christian camp, and so they worked out a deal with one of their friends who was a director at this camp, and that's how Gary got his job. Thanks a lot, parents, right? You know, he sent the curse of Gary upon the rest of us. But I found all that stuff out. Now, it didn't change the fact that he still needed to act differently and, and be nicer, but I kind of had a different perspective knowing a little bit of his background. I didn't know it then, but just asking those couple questions, hey, what's your story? Uh, uh, Gary started trusting me. I wasn't a pastor yet, wasn't even really wanting to do that, but uh, God started using, uh, you know, me in that regard in Gary's life. And I was kind of, I became Gary's interpreter. You know, he'd take other people off and I'd, I'd come out after him and be like, hey, you just got to understand where he's coming from. And, and, and Gary and I, you know, we didn't hang out all the time, but we would hang out. To the point that one night when, when I heard noises coming from our closet, Never a good thing. <clears throat> and I woke up, uh, which was not what I did in those days. I was a sound sleeper. Uh, and I woke up. I, I got up to check what it was. And it was Gary. And he was sitting on the floor kind of in the fetal position just crying in his closet. And he wept, uh, you know, for the better part of our conversation. And I, I said, what's going on? And he just told me, you know, I don't know what it is. And he, he sensed, you know, being oppressed in darkness. And so we prayed against the forces of evil. And then... And then we talked about, hey, do you even know Jesus? He says, I know how you're supposed to know Jesus, but do you, do you know Jesus? And Gary was one of the first guys that I ever got to share the gospel with and see make a decision for Christ in a closet at 3 a.m. Uh, a lot of times when people come to Christ, it's like a slow build. Uh, Gary, uh, I guess he'd just been so blessed and loved and, and, and so steeped in the Christian thing that as soon as the lights came on for him, he was a different dude. Like, uh, he's, he spent the rest of the, the summer, you know, just learning about Jesus and being discipled. He, he, instead of going back to college with the rest of us, he, he decided to take a, a couple semesters off, and he stayed on staff. He worked at this camp all throughout the year and was discipled by the leadership there. I came back that next summer, and I met an entirely different guy. Like, his, his countenance was different. He was just, he wasn't Gary anymore. 
And it was because of the presence of Jesus Christ in his life. Now, I can't tell you that I went to that camp saying, I'm going to find my Gary. And I'm going to share Jesus with my Gary. And Gary's going to be a... No, that was not my intent at all. In fact, I reluctantly asked some questions just so this guy could make sense to me. But God used that situation to draw Gary into a life with him. Who's your Gary? Is there a Gary in your life? Yeah, my brother-in-law, but he is such a pain, Mark. You just do not understand. Hey, go deeper. Slow down. Don't just discard. Figure them out and see what God does. Along with slowing down, if I can just give you one more thing, we've got we to gotta be careful to sort stuff out. We've got to sort it out. So slowing down is the first part, but sorting it out, is, that's the whole reason you slow down, so you can really see what's going on. What's going on with Gary? What's going on in these situations? Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a familiar verse, but I'll read it to you. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's that whole surrender thing. When, when you come into this life with Jesus, just give up. Let him hold the joystick and lead you in life. Let his love compel you into the things that you need to do. And then this is the results of that. If you, let, if you surrender and let Jesus uh, live your life for you, verse 2, verse 2, yeah. Do, do not be conformed. So, so don't be the flesh. Don't be who you used to be, but be transformed. Be, be, be brought into this life of living for the Spirit. How? By the renewal of your mind. You're going you're gonna to think differently and see things differently and sort things out differently. You're going to have a different process as you renew your mind and so that you can test and discern <coughs> what the will of God is, excuse me, and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Does everybody see that? We got to surrender so that God can slow us down long enough so that we can see things, not through our flesh, but through his lens, through his eyes. And then from that, be able to sort out what needs to happen in my relationships so that his redemption and reconciliation can occur. Like I said earlier, I think a lot of times we just we come to things and we just see them like we see them and we don't consider another option. Look at this picture. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, everybody looking at it. Five seconds. One, two, and see what you see. Three, four, five. Take it off the screen. Uh, how many people saw an old lady? Did anybody see an old lady? How many people saw a young lady? Did anybody see a young lady? Oh, look at Isn't this so amazing? It's almost always half and half. Let's put the picture back up here. Everybody? Everybody who saw the young lady, where is she? Put the picture back up, please. It's going to help. Yeah. Who saw the young lady? Where is she? Everybody see her? That's her ear, right? You see that? And that's her eyelid, and that's her nose, and this is her jawline. There's the rest of her. This is a necklace that's around her neck. That's her hair and a little feather coming out of her. Who saw that? Anybody see that the first time you saw it? Okay, how many people saw the old lady? Okay, you see the old lady? This is her hair. This is her eyeball right there. Okay, this is her huge Snoz. You see the schnoz? It's right there. I mean, that's a, that's a honker. But that's her mouth right there, and she's kind of in this, this fur or whatever, and that's her chin right there. You see that? It's fun, isn't it? You came to church, you had some fun, didn't you? Yeah, psychologists have used pictures like this all the time to prove to people that you have an initial judgment, and you see what you see, and then you just go from there. And a lot of times when you see what you see, you don't ever see what else is there. When you look at those people in your life that bring conflict, sure, they're jerks. Sure, they're hurtful. You see that part. That's on display. But you know there's another part to them? And that's what God wants you to take the time to sort out, to go further, to dig deeper. I was a 17-year-old junior in high school. I knew everything. 
because I was 17. Obviously, I knew everything. And I was cool. I knew that most of all. I was cool. I sat at the best table in the lunchroom, right? I was a varsity athlete. Uh, you know, half good looking, not, you know, Brad Pitt, but close, right? <laughs> and so there was a lot of people that kind of orbited me in this high school that I went to, and I just didn't pay any attention to. Uh, there were some people that I was just, you know, not going to be associated with at all. And then there was even a lower cast that I just didn't even see. Uh, they were the special needs kids in our school. They kind of had their own class in another building just outside the, the main the spot. But, uh, you know, they would shuffle every once in a while through the lunchroom, you know, have their lunch. Um, but I never talked to them. I mean, yeah. One day I was going to the, the locker in, in our, our, our uh, varsity locker room to get something because I was a varsity athlete. That was a privilege. Not everybody had that, but I could. And so I was heading in there, and, and uh, uh, the special needs kids would, would come and do their, like, uh, gym, gym time during lunch. And so, uh, you know, they were playing ping pong or basketball or whatever. And uh, this one lady was playing ping pong with this one kid with cerebral palsy. And, uh, and her name, I kid you not, came over the intercom that she needed to go. She had, to, she had a phone call. You know, Mrs. Tadanko, you have a phone call. Come to you. Okay, and so she's, she's hearing this, and it's apparently a call she's been looking for because she just took off. She just threw the paddle at me and said, here, play ping pong with Donnie. I was like, I'm, I'm just going... Play ping pong with Donnie. She was a big woman. I did it, all right? So, <clears throat> so I go up to the table, and this is how I met Donnie. And I started playing ping pong with Donnie. Donnie, you know, had, had the palsy and, and couldn't move real fast. So the first time I served the ball, he didn't even move. And he just looked at me. And the ball went three courts wide down, down the gym, just kept going. And, uh, and then he just started laughing. <laughs> Because he was going to make the varsity athlete go get the ball. <laughs> He's never told me this, but I'm pretty sure that was going through his head. Oh, we're going to have some fun today. That's what he was thinking, right? <laughs> so I ran and got the ball. I'm like, all right, Donnie, try to hit it. And I hit it really easy, you know. And he just let it bounce again, and he laughed again, and I went chasing it again. And on the third time, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, if you don't hit the ball back, I'm going to go. So I hit him the ball, and he uncorked his palsy arm, and he hit, the, he hit the ping pong ball harder than I've ever seen it hit, and he hit it as far that way as it had been rolling that way. <laughs> I don't know what it was, what it was but uh, it was magical. That was it. Donnie and I were friends. From that day forward, I looked forward to playing ping pong with Donnie at lunch. Uh, he asked me to go snowmobiling with him. You don't understand that in Florida, but it's kind of like a motorcycle, but it's for the snow. And I was like, great, I, you know, does your dad have a snowmobile that I can drive? Because I'm not, you're not going to drive. You've got cerebral palsy. What are you going to, you going to drive a snowmobile? He's like, no, I drive. I'm like, I don't know if I want to drive behind you on a snowmobile. He's like, that's the deal, you know. And so, so I go out to his house, and sure enough, it's like we're trying out for a stuntman group. He just takes me over every snowdrift. He dumps the snowmobile like three or four times. We almost die. And what is he doing? <laughs> I almost killed the varsity, you know. My high school uh, graduation came. Uh, uh, Donnie shuffled up to me as I was standing in the line that was going to go in the gym, and he handed me a card. In the card, there was a, a his, his, his picture. Uh, he had signed it on the back. It took him probably most of the day to sign this card. 
And uh, in it was a keychain, a gold basketball on a keychain that he had engraved uh, to, uh, to Mark from Donnie, best friends. It's still on my keychain 30 years later uh, uh, because he gave me, you know, the gold ball I couldn't win as a varsity athlete, right? I got to see Donnie uh, this past summer. This is him. Uh, 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 he's lost all his teeth because he keeps falling over in his old age. <laughs> uh, keeps knocking them out. But um, he's graduated from snowmobiles. I don't know if you can see it back here, but this is a Polaris, like, four-wheeler thing. And so when I got there, he had to take me out in his caddy, his new caddy, the Polaris four-wheeler, and, uh, and he's holding his keys, and, and that's what we got to do together. Um, let me take his picture down. I, I, I've learned more from that kid with cerebral palsy in the 30 years that I've known him than I've learned from almost every other human being uh, that I've ever encountered. Uh, and I would have never had the opportunity if I had allowed my first views of him to be the views I kept of him. So I'm grateful to Mrs. Tadanko or whatever her name was for throwing me a ping pong paddle uh, because she changed my life. And, uh, and, and, and I pray, listen, I pray that those are the opportunities to wait you. I'm sure there's people that you conflict with. You're like, they're not Donnie. Uh, there, there's no hope. No, listen. There, if you are in Christ, there is always a hope for things to change. That is rudimentary to our faith. That's what we believe. Because we are in Christ and because God is for us, things can get better. Maybe they won't but they always can. Are you with me? And we don't give up. And we choose to look at things not with the eyes of the flesh, but with the eyes of the Spirit. And we slow down and we sort things out. And then we come to those relationships that need peace as peacemakers. And we do our part, even if they don't do their part. And we seek to bring grace and mercy as Christ enables us. May God grant you the strength to do that. This Friday and every day so that you can have peace with the people in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for peace and thanks that when Jesus came, it became our possibility. Uh, Thanks for giving us peace with ourselves. Help us with that, Lord. Help us to cede control to you. Uh, Thanks for giving us the potential for peace with others. I know that's going to be hard for some of us uh, to forgive and to look with different eyes on those that uh, have hurt them and, and brought, uh, well, not peace into their lives. But God, by your grace and through your strength, uh, help us to renew our efforts to love those that are hard to love. To look at those who we may not even think to love and, and to find the treasures that only you can give in the relationships that you start. So that's my prayer for us, Lord. Help us to live in your peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you Thursday. God bless you. Merry Christmas if I don't.